Thank you for tuning in to the World Overcomers podcast. On behalf of our senior pastor, Andy Thompson, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates when we post new content every week. If you would like more information or want to make a contribution to World Overcomers or Pastor Andy, visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Once again, that is www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, we ready, we ready, we ready. If you're ready to eat, I'm ready to cook, okay? If you're ready to eat, I'm ready to cook. Are you ready to do this? We can do this. Let's go. Uh, you are one thought away. I think that a lot of times when we talk about the woman with the issue of blood, it's easy to talk about the faith that it took to touch Jesus. Uh, and we need to focus on her touch uh, because there's a lot of things that we can say about her touch. The first thing that we can say about her touch is that there were a lot of people. The Bible says that the crowd was pressing around Jesus. The fact that he would even turn around and say, who touched me, is a ridiculous question because Jesus, everybody is touching you. You are in a large crowd of people, but how many people know that you can be in a large room of people and two people in the same room walk away from that room having experienced vastly different things because although everyone was pressed around him she's the only one that drew power from Jesus it doesn't matter how many people are in the room you need to be the person in the room that says I am going to leave transformed and changed and I am going to put a demand on heaven's supply every single Sunday, I want heaven to say the same thing that Jesus said. I felt power go out from me. If we had church the right way, then heaven should look down and say, power went out from heaven today and touched world overcomers Christian church. Because it's not just enough to be in the right room. You could be in the room, but the devil keep you on your phone the whole time you're in the room. You can be a part of the crowd, but not leave changed. There's a difference between the woman with the issue of blood who was in the right room, but actually got what she needed from God versus everybody else that was in the crowd who put no demand on what Jesus had to offer. The second reason that we need to focus on the woman's touch is because Jesus marks a theological difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. See, in the Old Testament, uh, if you had a, an issue of blood, which would have been a hemorrhaging menstrual issue, this woman was essentially on her time of the month the whole month, and every woman said, uh-uh, come on, don't act like that wouldn't be hell on earth, okay? <laughs> this one was on her time of the month the whole month, okay? And in the Old Testament, anything that she touched would become contaminated. If she sat down in a seat 
the next person who would sit down in that seat would become ceremonially unclean. They couldn't offer sacrifices in the temple. They would have to go get clean first before they could appear before a holy God. In the Old Testament, you couldn't touch people with leprosy because leprosy was contagious. Anything that was unclean, anything that was sinful, it would spread and be contagious. And this woman understands that there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Covenant that she is walking around. Jesus says that greater is he that is in you than he that's within the world, which means that if she had touched just any old rabbi, she would have infected the rabbi with her uncleanness, but she did not touch any old rabbi. She touched Jesus, and because Jesus is more powerful than her problem, Jesus' holiness doesn't need to be protected, but Jesus' holiness has the power to free her of her issue. This is the reason that Jesus will go up to a leper and touch a leper because Jesus understands that I'm not scared of your leprosy getting on me. The here, I'm here for my holiness to get on you. This is the marked difference between the old covenant and the new. That Jesus says, no one needs to protect me from sickness, from sin, from uncleanness, that I am more than enough to heal you and to overpower whatever issue you have. Which should immediately make us free from all of our shame. There's so many people who want a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. You know why? Because the moment you found a perfect church, once you join it, it'd be imperfect. Especially millennials. We got all this church hurt. Nobody's been hurt by church more than Jesus. Nobody's been hurt by church more than pastors and leaders and pastors' kids. Nobody's congregants ain't got nothing on leaders when it comes to church hurt. Uh-oh, ain't nobody going to say amen. No, it's okay. The problem with this narrative of church hurt is that you've discounted the fact that what is able to happen in here is that this is the place where sick people come. So, of course, the church is going to be imperfect. Of course, the church is going to be broken because we attract people with problems. And God is not afraid of your problem. You are not contaminating him by getting close to him. He is the God that is going to completely overtake and overshadow and overpower whatever issue you have. We can talk about the faith. We can talk about the theology that goes behind the woman's touch, but really, if the woman had never had the right thought, she would have never had the right touch. Her touch is preceded by multiple thoughts. Imagine the kind of thoughts that the woman should have had. This woman had spent all the money she had, so she was broke. She had been sick for 12 years, and anyone who's dealing with chronic sickness and chronic pain, it starts to affect your mind. She's dealing with a financial problem, she has a physical problem, and because of the Old Testament covenant law, she's not able to live in community. She has to live banished and excommunicated from anybody that would love her or know her. She can't get married, she's never had children, she's lived in isolation. 
which means the woman is relationally bankrupt. She is physically in a chronic condition of sickness and ailment, and she has spent all the money she's had. But her mind works. You know how many people I meet that have money, have the proper working functioning of their body, and have all these relationships, but they don't have the right working of their mind. And I would tell you right now, I would trade in a heartbeat. I'd rather be broke and my body all busted and have no relationships, but be in my right mind than have all the money in the world and all the friends in the world and all of the biceps and muscles and tendons and ligaments that work, but be riddled with anxiety, struggling with overthinking. You're in analysis paralysis. You've analyzed the problem so much that you've prolonged making a decision for months. Paul says that you have the power to take every thought captive. But for most of us, our thoughts have held us captive. You have the power to take every, every, not some thoughts, every thought, which means the moment the enemy starts speaking to you in a way that frames you as the victim, you have the power to take that thought captive. Every time the enemy tells you that you can't forgive because forgiveness is weak, you have the power to take that thought captive. Every time the enemy tells you that everyone in your family before you has been broke and been poor and their marriages haven't succeeded and you're going to be the same way, that's your opportunity to say, I have the power to take every thought captive. The devil is a liar and I'm blessed. I'm healed. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. Sickness cannot live in me and sin cannot dominate me. You don't know who my God is and you don't know who I am. And I will not let your thoughts govern my mind the enemy wants your mind more than he wants anything else he wants your mind more than he wants your property he wants your mind more than he wants your house or your car or your body or your family he wants your mind because everything can be going right but if he has your mind you won't even appreciate the stuff you got you could have the world given to you on a silver platter. But as long as the enemy keeps telling you, you got married too young. You won't appreciate the husband you got. And you will waste the blessing that God has poured out to you because of your mind. You know how many men I know, they have a great wife. And they're still addicted to pornography because the enemy has gotten a hold of their mind. Your mind has the power to change everything. And I love this woman because this woman says, I ain't got no money. My body don't work right. I ain't got no relationships. 
but I know how to think. Imagine had she thought that day. Jesus, just like these other doctors. Come on. What's the, what, what, what? I've trusted other people before. I've risked enough already. I've put myself out there already. It would be better for me to be numb and have no expectations because I've had expectations of every doctor. And every doctor, every time, said, oh, yeah, we, we, yeah, you take this. Oh, yeah, rub this on it. Oh, come on. You, you'll be good. But pay me first, though. She's gone through rounds of getting her hopes up, spending her money, being disappointed. Getting her hopes up, spending her money, being disappointed. Getting her hopes up, spending her money, being disappointed. You helping me preach. I love you. If that was you, don't act. Come on. You'd be like, I'm done getting my hopes up. Risking anything and being disappointed. How many of us, you come to church with baggage of failures in a past season of your life? So now we're telling you to have faith. And what the enemy keeps saying to you is, but you had faith before and it didn't work. And now you can't have faith in this season because you had faith in a previous season and it didn't work. Let me help you. The Bible says this, that in without faith, it is impossible to? In without faith, it is impossible to? What is it impossible to do? Which means your faith is not for results. What is faith for? Pleasing God. Which means when the enemy says to me, see, you wasted your faith on that and it didn't work. I can say back to the enemy, there's no such thing as wasting my faith because my faith was never to get results. My faith was to please God. And as long as God was pleased, let the results be what they may. Let the chips fall where they're going to fall. My job is to have faith. Come hella high water, I'm going to have faith. Let it all fall apart, I'm going to have faith. Because anybody can have faith on the mountaintop. It takes a special somebody to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and say, I've still got faith. I've gone to many doctors, but I still got faith. It failed multiple times, but I still got faith. Everybody calls me stupid, but I still got faith. I've been disappointed, but I still got faith. I want illogical faith. I want the kind of faith that is rooted in a mind that cannot be shaken. You cannot talk me out of the faith that God has put in me. I don't need results. Faith pleases God. And without faith, it is impossible to so I used faith to invite somebody to church, and they cussed me out. Great. That pleased God. Yeah. 
I used faith to apply for the job, didn't get the job. That pleased God. I used faith to buy a crib, didn't get pregnant. That pleased God. I used faith. We cannot think that faith is successful because your intended outcome happened. God is just pleased that you took a risk. God is pleased that you trusted him. God is pleased that you did what he told you to do. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which means faith is always an obedient response. And a lack of faith means I don't trust God. Anytime there's disobedience, that means there's a lack of trust. You don't have an obedience problem, you have a trust problem. You trust you more than you trust God. That ain't going to work. <laughs> At some point, you have to get to the place where you say, I don't even know what tomorrow holds. Why would I trust me? I don't know what's going to happen in five years. Why would I trust me? I don't, I have no idea. It's funny. My realtor, his name is Jesse Summers. Love Jesse. Shout out to him and Elder Paul. Holding it down. If you've been at World Overcomers for longer than two weeks, you know Jesse and Elder Paul. It's our diversity committee at World Overcomers Christian Church. Love Jesse and Elder Paul, okay? <laughs> Love Jesse, okay? He's my realtor, okay? Uh, he's my realtor. And uh, I, 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 was, I was thinking about selling my house. And I said to Jesse, I said, uh, Jesse, um, it seems like, you know, I get a lot of money for my house right now because it was the end of 2021. It was like the back end of the year, 2021. It was like September, October, November 2021. And I was like, dude, I think I can make serious money on my house. And Jesse was like, you know, I mean, yeah, you could. Like, you could cash out on your house. But he was like, man, the market's going to stay this way. And I went, no, the Holy Ghost is telling me to sell this house. The Holy Ghost is telling me to sell this house and move to Texas. What's in Texas? I don't know. Why are you moving to Texas? Because the airport's good. <laughs> I'm not joking. Everyone said, do you have a job lined up in Texas? I said, no. I have faith lined up in Texas. I don't need a job. I moved my wife and my son to a state away from my wife's friends, away from our family, away from our church, because I don't care what the market is telling me. If the Holy Ghost says move, the same Holy Ghost that told me to write a book in 2016 is the same Holy Ghost that says move to Texas. Why do I need facts or proof? Couple of months went by and Jesse calls me and said, man, the market didn't change. Literally weeks after I sold my house, the market turned. And I would never have gotten the money that I got for my house had I had waited a month or two to sell my house. <sighs> got to Texas, got to Texas, we sold our house in 
the end of October, the beginning of November. Got to Texas in December, got, Jesse hooked me up with a realtor in, in Texas and just started seeing houses. Well, the market in Texas is crazy. The market in Texas is crazy because all these Californians are leaving, leaving California to go to Texas. So I show up at this house. I was about to say my address. <laughs> a house. <laughs> the woman that has listed the house forgot that there was a showing that day. So I get there and she's inside. I'm like, that's kind of awkward to see your house with you in here. And the woman goes, I don't know what happened. I didn't get the notification. She said, I can leave. It's okay. And I was holding my son in my arms. He was six months at the time. And I was like, you ain't got to go nowhere because um, I need you to see me because 20 people are going to put in offers for this house. I need you to know my face and know my name. And this is my cute little son named Theophilus. <laughs> I said, ma'am, I know I I'm not supposed to ask you this, but how many offers have you gotten on the house? She said, for whatever reason, everybody that I know that's listing houses right now, they're getting 20, 25, 30 offers on their house, $100,000 above asking. Because all these people with their California budget moving to Texas. All these people that got property worth $800,000, $900,000 are buying up these $250,000, $400,000 houses in Texas, and they can offer $100,000 over. She said, I only have one offer on the house. It's almost as if my house is invisible to everybody else. I said, ma'am, so what you're telling me is that if I offer you list price for your house, you'll sell this house to me? She went, I know I should talk to my realtor first. But my husband just died. And I need to sell this house immediately. She said, if you offer me list price for this house today, we could be under contract by tonight. I looked at my realtor in Texas and I said, write it up right now. We were under contract within a day. Because faith doesn't have to make sense. Faith doesn't have to include logic. In the middle of an economic downturn, I could become a millionaire because it's my mind that needs to work. As long as I can hear from heaven and obey and trust God, it doesn't matter if there's a crowd. It doesn't matter if Jairus got to Jesus first. It doesn't matter if Jesus is on the way to heal Jairus' daughter. It doesn't matter if I'm not allowed to be there because I've got a hemorrhaging issue. It does not matter what the facts say if it's your day it's your day if your time is now to walk in breakthrough then there's no devil in hell that can stop you from walking in breakthrough Whoo! I'm gonna say something that's gonna step on your toes your doubt has more power than the devil in your life. Your biggest problem is not the devil. Your biggest problem is your own doubt. The enemy, the enemy just fighting me. The enemy just attacking me. First of all, that's just an arrogant statement. You think that you are so important 
to the cosmic plan of the universe that the devil himself would stop what he's doing to attack you. I'm sorry, but maybe, just maybe, you need a dose of reality. Secondly, the devil don't need to attack you. Your doubts already attacked you. The trauma from your childhood has already attacked you. The toxicity that you were raised in has already provided a mindset that you can't get out of. If the enemy has placed a stronghold on your mind, then the enemy can leave you alone. You are on autopilot as far as the enemy is concerned. All he needed to do was to make sure that a toxic father and a toxic mom raised you. That's all he needed to do. The only thing that the enemy needed to do is make sure that your uncle influenced you before you were seven. The devil is on a vacation when it comes to you. Because your own toxic mindset is driving you into destruction. Why does the devil need to bother you? You already bound. You're bound in how you think. I don't know how to make this more simple. I was raised by a man who's been on drugs my whole life. My father took me to a crack house when I was five years old for the first time. I remember it because it was the day before my parents got married. I went to multiple construction sites to pick up my dad from work and he was nowhere to be found. Left me and my mom in the house for weekends and weeks on end with no groceries. My mother was pregnant with my older sister when she was 12. If there's anybody who should be bound by doubt, insecurity, black people can't do that. The son of a crackhead can't do that. My, all five of my uncles have been incarcerated. Three of my aunts are uh, alcoholics and prostitutes. On my dad's side, my grandmama sells drugs out of an ice cream truck in Miami. <laughs> Till this day, grandma. That's grandma. My abuela. If there's anybody who's got an excuse for not being educated and not being disciplined and not having faith and being stuck as a statistic, you're looking at him. His name is Manny Orango, but the Bible says that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And if I can get my mind free, you can get your mind free. The devil is a liar. It does not matter what family you come from, your mind can get free. It doesn't matter what generational curse has been in existence in your family for generations. If God can set me free, he can set you free. And all the redeemed people said amen. You need to get your mind free. You need to get your mind free. Your mind, your mind, you can do all things. There aren't things that women can do or black people can do or minorities can do. 
No, no, no. You are above only and never beneath. You need to get your mind free. The generational curse only has power because you believe in it. The generational curse, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying it only has power because you give it power. It has power because every time you do something dysfunctional, you use it as an excuse. It has power because you let it have power. And you can decide, uh-uh, what's the point of me being in church 52 Sundays out of the year? And I leave out of church and doubt and unbelief and fear and insecurity is what I struggle with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then I come to church again on Sunday. I feel good for two hours. And then I go back to a life where the mirror tells me I'm ugly. But God says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So you don't even agree with your creator. You're telling me that you know more about you than God knows about you. Really. God says that, that he knit you together in your mother's womb. But you're telling me that your nose is a mistake. So, so the mirror has more power than what God knit together in your mother's womb. God could make you beautiful. You know how many beautiful people, how many beautiful women I've met who struggle with insecurity? You, you, would, you would think that if somebody's struggling, thinking they're ugly, maybe they're right. But you know how many times I've genuinely been like, you're clearly confused. And the reason you're always asking, do I look good in this, is because you don't think you look good in it. So now you've become an emotionally expensive individual. Because you're not healed. Because your dysfunction has more power over your mind than God's word has over your mind. You need to get your mind free. Your mind free. I remember the first time I sat down with a therapist. I was in the waiting room. In the waiting room, getting ready for the therapist to see me. And the voice of my father started playing in my head. Only weak men need therapy. I could hear my father. Men don't, men don't talk about how they feel. My dad was the reason I needed therapy in the first place. He took me to a crack house when I was five. I'm traumatized. Ain't it crazy? How the person who's responsible for you needing therapy can also be the person responsible for you not getting therapy. I'm in a waiting room waiting to talk to a therapist because of the damage my dad did to my mind. And I still have his thoughts in my head about to rob me of freedom.
waiting rooms have you been in? Where you are on the precipice of making a decision that could free you of all your suffering. One thought away. But instead of being dominated by the thought that God has put into your mind, you are now dominated by the thought of your trauma in your past. And so instead of taking the one step necessary towards breakthrough and freedom, I remember sitting there with a the therapist, and the therapist, after a couple of months, went, yeah, there's a difference between addiction and substance abuse. They're not the same. Your father just so happens to have both. He's an addict, and he has a substance abuse issue. He said, but you, you don't got no substance abuse problem, but you an addict. And I remember going, huh? Because, uh-oh, sometimes in black communities, we want that from the pulpit. But a pastor's not trained to help you unlock your mind. A therapist is. A therapist is trained to actually help you to navigate your thoughts. You want to know what this book is? This book is me sitting down with my Bible and everything my therapist said. And me putting it into a book to help people to get your mind right. Because if your mind can get free, you can be the entrepreneur you actually want to be. If you can get your mind free, you can be the father that you actually need to be. If you can get your mind free, you can be the wife and the mom that God actually has designed for you to be. It's funny, I was listening to an interview. Are you getting anything at church today? Yeah. Just helping you? Just helping you? I was listening to an interview of Warren Buffett. Everybody know who Warren Buffett is? He's a billionaire. Warren Buffett's one of the top five richest men in the world. And Warren Buffett was saying that 10 years ago, he said Ford, Chevy, uh, General Motors, he listed all the American car companies. And he said all of these companies had more money, employees, cars on the road, resources, and marketing dollars behind them than Elon Musk. But Elon Musk had an idea. And an idea is more valuable than money, factories, employees, that I could do more with an idea than I can with money, capital, resources, employees, and factories. And 10 years ago, if you had given most people the option, would you rather run Ford or Tesla, you'd pick Ford because your mind's not right. You'd pick Ford because you're attracted to money. But if you have an idea, you can get money. Today, today, Tesla is worth more market value than every other American car company combined. Because an idea is more valuable than anything else that you could ever have in your life. How many of you, uh, 
Researchers and psychologists say, and you can attest whether this is true, that 95% of the thoughts you have today, you had yesterday. And 95% of the thoughts you had yesterday, you had the day before. And 95% of the thoughts you had three days ago, you had four days ago. And for most of us, you come to church and you want new life, but you got the same mind. You want new life, but you come with all the same mindsets. So here we go. I got no minutes left. In the book, there are five mindsets that I teach that you need to adopt. Write these down. Take your notes out. Five mindsets. Because you don't just need new thoughts. You need a new mindset. If we give you new thoughts on Sunday, that's like putting new wine in the old wineskins if you don't change your mind. The goal is not to change your thoughts. It's to change your mind. Because the mind of Adam will always produce insecure thoughts. You need the mind of Christ. The mind of Adam will only take you so far. The reason that it's like putting money in empty pockets is because we're trying to give you new thoughts. You don't need new thoughts. Your old mind can't handle God's thoughts. You need a brand new mind. And there are five mindsets you need to adopt. Number one, a trust mindset. Trust. Number two, a faith mindset. That the invisible moves the visible. Number three, an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset. I've been teaching it on Wednesdays. An abundance mindset. An abundance mindset. You just, you, you, you watch on Wednesdays. Let's go. This book is for you. Here you go. Here's a free book. You watch on Wednesdays? Come on. Got them listed. Number one. Number one, a trust mindset. That I trust God. Number two, a faith mindset. If I have, get this, if I have faith before I have trust, I'll be like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to right, him as righteousness. So he believed, which means he had faith. However, he didn't trust, which means he had sex with Hagar. If you have faith without trust, you have ambition. So you'll try to do it your own way. You have to have trust before you have faith. A trust mindset comes first. A faith mindset comes second. An abundance mindset comes third. I was talking to somebody in the lobby of World Overcomers a couple years ago. And they said, we was talking about immigration, we was talking about Hispanic people. I don't think they realized I was half Hispanic, but it's okay. And they said, yeah, they're taking our jobs. And I went, hold on. That means you believe in a limited supply. There is no they that can take what's mine. I don't believe in a limited supply. My mind believes in an unlimited supply. When I believed in a limited supply, me and my wife, we didn't attend baby showers because we were struggling with infertility. Once I started believing in an unlimited supply, I believed if God is blessing my neighbor, it means he's in the neighborhood. So I'll show up to a baby shower with all types of gifts and I'll bless you because God is not having to choose between you and me. God can bless all of us. You have to move from a scarcity mindset into an abundance mindset. I was raised in poverty. Mom on welfare. Got a disability check every month. Catholic charities used to bring us groceries, okay? 
Poverty teaches you a scarcity mindset. Kingdom wants to teach you an abundance mindset. That's not just abundant thoughts, but a mindset that governs how you live your life. Fourth, an identity mindset. An identity mindset. If you don't know who you are, it will be very hard for you to deal in relationship with anybody around you. An identity mindset. I can only build identity by first knowing who God is. I need you to get the model. Moses has insecurities. Can I touch on insecurities for just a moment? Come on. Be honest. Who struggles with insecurities? Come on. Let me help you. Insecurities like darkness is not a real thing. There's no such thing as a dark machine. We have lights, though, which means light has material substance. Darkness is not a material substance. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Insecurity has no material substance. It is simply the absence of identity. It's what happens in the void when you don't have identity. So Moses has all these insecurities. God says to Moses, you're going to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses five times says, nah, I got a stutter. I can't do it. Not me. Pick somebody else. Five times refuses the call of God on his life because he's insecure. Anybody want to know what God says to Moses? God does not say, Moses, your stutter ain't that bad. That's what you would have said to your friend. Your stutter ain't that bad, girl. Guess what God says to Moses? I am that I am. The answer to your insecurities is that I am that I am. You're insecure because insecurity is a form of pride. Pride produces two things. Pride produces arrogance and pride also produces insecurity. Because the person who's arrogant thinks that their strengths matter. The person who's insecure thinks their weaknesses matter. God says, you don't matter at all. I am that I am. You stutter, but I am that I am. You fail, but I am that I am. You're weak, but I am that I am. You're broke, but I am that I am. You're scared, but I am that I am. You lack confidence, but I am that I am. The self-help doctrine of our culture says, if I believe in myself, I'll be okay. God says, I don't need you to believe in you. I need you to believe in me. Because you are a product of who you are in Christ. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're the righteousness of God. You're made in the image of God. If God's not a big deal, then you'll never be a big deal. The bigger you make God, the more value you add to yourself. So God's solution for insecurity is I am that I am. You can't possibly believe that God does all things well and made you wrong. That's not logical. If you think you're ugly, you think God makes mistakes. What you think about God directly impacts what you think about yourself. And last, an interdependence mindset. Interdependence. The world that we live in right now wants to push people towards either codependence or independence. Codependence is toxic needing of each other, a need to be needed. Independence is 
people typically, I want to help you, people who have been in a codependent family, they overcorrect and the pendulum swings to independence. So we t get taught, I don't need no man. That ain't true. I can do, I can do it all by myself. That ain't true. That's called independence. And you're reacting to something that you probably saw as codependence. People abusing the need that they have of other people. We don't need to overcorrect. We need balance. Guess what balance is? Interdependence. It means I do need you and you do need me, but I'm not gonna take advantage of the fact that you need me and you're not gonna take advantage of the fact that I need you. We're not gonna use our need of each other to abuse one another. And only people who have the right ideas about God can have the right ideas about self. And only the people who have the right ideas about self can walk in relationship well. It's impossible to walk in relationship and have an interdependent mindset if you have toxic ideas about yourself that are rooted in toxic ideas about God. Okay, I'm way over. If you heard a word today, I want you to do two things. First of all, we're going to take up an offering. We're going to take up an offering. I want you to sow. The reason that we sow after somebody preaches is because Jesus says that when, when the preaching of the word goes forth, it's like seed being scattered. So what I just did for the past 45 minutes was I sowed seed. We respond to seed with seed. The, the, the correct response to activating the seed of God's word that was just deposited into the soil of your life is to say, you know what? I'm going to add seed to Pastor Manny's seed that was just sown into my life. I want the word that was just spoke over my life to actually have 30, 60, and 100 fold impact in my life. The first offering that we take up is our tithe. The second offering that we take up, I call it the tip after the meal. If you ate good, the, what we do before the sermon, that ain't a tip. That's the bill. God, you've been good. So I'm just gonna pay my tithe because you've been good. After the message, we're saying, no, I want to actually sow into the vision of the church, and I want to sow into the word that was just spoken over my life. That's the first thing. We're going to take up an offering. Second thing, oh, I was just about to grab the book and show you, but you got it. No, it's okay. I'll be in the lobby signing copies of this book. I want you to get the book because I was only able to, I was only able to preach one chapter out of nine. I think the other eight chapters will bless your life. And I read my own audiobook. Took me 16 hours. Okay, so grab a copy of the book, get the audiobook. I think this will bless your life. Okay, come on, let's pray over the offering. Or we pass some buckets first and then praying. What do we do, Pastor Tony? Pass buckets first, pray first. Thank you, Pastor Tony. Who loves Pastor Tony? I love you so much. One of these days you're going to let me borrow the singing gift, but, you know, we'll wait on that. Come on, let's pray. Who's got your gift in your hand? If you got your gift in your hand, you can either hold up your phone, hold up an envelope. If you still need an envelope, wave down one of these guys in blue. They'll give you an envelope. Come on, let's pray over the offering. God, we thank you. And we ask specifically that your blessing would be on the word that we heard. God, we declare, I'm good ground. I'm good ground. 
that the word that I heard today is going to bring increase in my life. I'm good soil. And God, we're giving in faith so that we can fix our minds. We don't just want to hear a message and then go back to the way that we've always thought. God, we want to hear today's message and actually change. We want to change. So God, I ask that there would be a blessing on every giver today. That you would bless us and that we would adopt an abundance mindset as we give in today's offering. God, we thank you in advance. We thank you for ideas. If you can give Elon Musk an idea that makes him a billionaire, God, we're believing that there are people in this room that you are going to give them ideas when they leave church that are going to bring billions of dollars into the kingdom. You gave the founder of Hobby Lobby an idea, and that idea has funded Christian churches all over America. God, we ask that the next CEO of Hobby Lobby would be in this church, that the next billionaire, that the next millionaire would be in this church. God, we thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, and we all say together, amen, amen, amen. Come on, the buckets can pass. Pastor Tony's going to come up and give some announcements and talk about the benediction. I'm going to get to the lobby so that I can be out there ready to sign books before you guys get out there. I love you. Come on, can we give a great hand to Pastor Manny Arango? Come on, thank him for that word. Thank him for that word. Listen, before you leave, we have a couple of announcements. Thank you for staying still and while they're collecting the, the offering. How many visitors do we have today? Can you wave your hand so we can recognize you? Thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us. If you would, when we dismiss, when I say the benediction, we have a gift for you today for visiting with us today. We want to connect with you. Somebody say Fellowship Week. Fellowship Week. This begins our Fellowship Week. We have two high round tables where women can connect with a fearless and free group with a small group as well as the men uh, as part of Sharp 10-4. We want you to visit out there in the lobby. Somebody say automate the important. We have a, a table in the back of the lobby uh, where somebody's going to be there that if you are having some issues trying to get connected or you're interested and you just don't know how to do it, somebody can connect you today so that you can automate your giving. Also, Casting Call. We have a great Christmas production that's going to happen in December. If you want to be a part of that, if you sing, if you dance, if you play the ukulele, if you play spoons, whatever you play. <laughs> Somebody got that ukulele anointing. If, if you do anything in the arts, we want you to visit the table. There are going to be people in the back with green hoodies on, and they want you to sign up today. And then lastly, um, we are having volunteer orientation at 1230. Somebody say 1230. If you are already a member of World Overcomers and you want to get involved, you want to plug in and you want to push vision forward through your serving, we are having volunteer orientation at 1230. Just visit the Connection Kiosk and they will direct you to the Volunteer Lounge. Amen. Are you glad that you came to church today? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Tell somebody beside you, I'm glad I sat beside you. It wouldn't have been the same without you. I think because of you, the anointing was in this room in such an awesome way. Amen. 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 Come on, let's lift up our hands. God, we thank you for visiting us in this room, not only with your power, with your anointing, but th Lord, thank you, Lord, for the deposit 
of the word that was deposited in our hearts. Now, God, we speak over this week. We change our mindsets, God, and we, we think different about Monday. We think different about this work week and everything we're going to encounter this week, God. We thank you, Lord, that your angels go before us and make every cricket path straight. We thank you, Lord, that at the end of this week, we are going to have testimonies of victory where we change the way that we thought, and it changed our whole lives, God. Bless us and keep us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Hopefully you were blessed and encouraged by this message. Visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast for more information on WOCC and events that are coming up. Maybe we are coming to your area soon. God bless.